Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast looking at the latest trends in chuckle slinging. And today we're talking about the impact of the internet on comedy, specifically the rise of short-form video on platforms like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Funyun, there's probably others. I'm Mark Linton Meyer, probably only really funny as the victim of dramatic irony in the context of the futility of my life projects. I'm Erica Spires, and I used up all my jokes on Twitter. (laughs) And I'm Brian Hurt, and I'll keep this short. And I'm Tiffany Topol. <laughs> and you kept it shorter. <laughs> Challenge extended and... One upper. <laughs> nicely done. Thanks for joining us, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. Tiffany is a friend of mine, and I thought she'd be awesome to talk to. She's one of the people I know who is still creating content throughout the pandemic. Even though she is an actor, singer, musician, she is also a comedy content creator and has been for several years. And you've been doing a, you've been pretty busy this year, right? Pretty well. (laughs) I started out grieving and then I kind of didn't know what else to do with myself once all of this started. So I actually, I think the first piece of comedy I made during quarantine was when I had COVID because I didn't know what else to do. And what did you make during COVID? What was that? God, that first thing was just with a Snapchat filter, which is something I used to do a lot. And I kind of moved away from it because I don't like Snapchat's filters anymore. I think they're all just dog faces and cat faces and make you look like you're an anime character. But I found this filter that was just this weird face, and I just started talking like this, like, completely out-of-touch British girl who was just really mad about the fact that she had to stay inside. You know, we often wait to the end of our podcast to have our guests plug their channels, but I think you should plug yours now because people should go see your stuff. And normally, if we have on a musician, like, what are they going to go listen to a long album or read a book and come back to our podcast? Probably not, but they can watch your stuff and come back like in 10 minutes. So where will they find Tiffany Topol online? Right. I'm on Instagram at Fanny T or Move the Furniture. I have two different Instagrams. One is mostly me dancing, but they both have my content on there. How do you spell Fanny T? F-A-N-N-Y-T-E-E. Great. Yeah. And then most of my comedy stuff is on YouTube at youtube.com slash Tiffany Topol LOL. So normally we would tell people to pause while they go consume that, but we're actually just going to stay quiet for a minute while people do that. Great. <laughs> All done. Then that's it. It's very quick. <laughs> done. I guess that is about how much of a chance I gave when we were preparing the notes for this. I guess most of these links came from Tiffany. Gave us quite a few people out there. You know, we have half a page list of internet comedians, and some of them. That's about how long I gave. <laughs> that, like, <laughs> That's all our attention spans will allow for us these days, I guess. But that seems in keeping with what it is to be a consumer of this type of thing. It's not, you know, of course, if you can develop a relationship with the streamer and get to know their personality, but that's only the select small bit of the audience is actually going to latch onto you in that way. Most of them are, yeah, you got to sell yourself in the first four seconds. Thanks a lot. 
Totally. <laughs> That's right. How do you do that? I'm sure that there's a formula and I'm sure I could like get a coach and figure out how to do it. I try not to think about it, how to like sell myself. Because I think once you can smell somebody selling themselves, you don't want to be sold <laughs> too. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. So Tiffany comes from the theatrical world, right? So she's used to doing long form work. And actually, a lot of your characters, yes, they do short snippets, but you have them appear multiple times. There's so many different ways we can go with this, with this conversation. And I think some of the stuff we should touch upon is why is this such a success right now? Is the pandemic like accelerating it? Do we tend to see the same people who are famous or is it constantly changing because people don't care who it is? They just care about if it makes them laugh. And then also just about like, what is the inspiration for this type of work and how do you create this kind of work from, you know, start to finish and like also want to just stick with it or is it the end game or not? You know, and I, I think there's so much to be talked about and we've talked on this podcast about a lot of subjects like on the macro level. And I think this kind of has to be a little bit of that, but we can also get into your personal work and your personal perspective. But we've never, right? We Guys, we've done a lot on comedy. It's just been various forms of comedy. I wouldn't say more than we should, but maybe more than I would have expected going into this with pop culture broadly as our topic. And maybe that's just because of the people who are willing to talk to us or, and this is a very specific type of thing. And the one thing that jumped kind of to the front for me was it seems like this is one of those things that celebrities weren't doing, but started doing during the pandemic. And have, I don't want to say they've stolen it from the people, but like a lot of things, podcasting also being a thing that celebrities started doing, not that they didn't, but so many more actors suddenly had nothing else to do in 2020 and started podcasting. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. You're absolutely right. Oh, yeah. See, now I, now I can leave. <laughs> you made your point. I got Erica to agree with one thing. Once J-Lo got, <laughs> got on TikTok, it was like, oh, well, it's over now. <laughs> I'm kidding. But yes, see, <laughs> it only just begun. <laughs> I mean, did you have to change how you approach this in 2020 in this new ecosystem with so many more people doing short form comedy or it's profile having been elevated, I think in some ways? I haven't changed what I've been doing, but I feel like the pressure to do so. I have people constantly messaging me saying that I should be on TikTok and I'm just not. <laughs> I tried once and you know what? Maybe I should give it another shot. And I also have a lot of people that send me links to what we were just talking about, this TikTok comedy, this 15 second, five second, I mean, just so short little things. And Erica, what you were saying about how suddenly, like the question is, do we not care who it is anymore? And most of the people that I see doing comedy on TikTok, it's always a brand new person. If somebody sends something to me and I'm like, I don't know who this person is. There are a hundred thousand likes. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's a large crop now. Is that what it was like on Instagram and or, or Facebook or no? Oh my God, I don't know. I mean, I love making what I do and I love... I have a very small but dedicated audience. So I've never gone like real viral. I've gone like baby viral. So I feel like I can't necessarily speak on like a large level, like how Instagram or Facebook or whatever responds versus TikTok, especially because I haven't been on it. Do you know something about the makeup of the, your audience? Is it basically an extended social network? Your friends, friends of friends, or has that rolled over into people that you don't know that are just watching you for entertainment value? 
the base of it is probably friends, friends of friends, which is how everything starts. And then every now and then, like a couple things I've done have taken off and rolled over into a bunch of people I don't know, which feels really good. And then sometimes feels really bad because then you get people that are not afraid to say bad things about you. <laughs> Which comes with the territory of putting anything out into the world, especially on the internet. And it's your face that we coward podcasters (laughs) hiding behind our microphones. It's my face or a manipulated version of my face sometimes by Snapchat. But I haven't been doing as much of that recently. I like putting on disguises. It's what puts me into a character. That's what I find is interesting about the TikTok comedy is that almost never... It's not often that someone's playing a character. It's almost like very short stand-up and all observational comedy. Like someone being like, me when my Starbucks falls out the window or something like that or whatever. Or even if it is a character, the consumer maybe doesn't see that difference. So you could still feel like you're being judged in a way just because of the people who are commenting. Like, you know, I don't like the way that person sounds or looks or whatever. I mean, it's so different from publishing something and that is so much more a product. And it's like, well, they didn't get it. They didn't like it. Maybe it was garbage, but they're not saying I'm garbage. They're saying what I wrote is garbage, which wow. also doesn't feel good, but it's a different kind of response that you can have to it. There's this separation from your product, whereas you are not the product, but it seems that way. And people automatically think you are what you're making, which sometimes, I mean, obviously everything one makes is a part of them, but I don't know. Someone called me trifling. (laughs) I was like, I'm not trifling. How dare they? Or, you know, like a garbage person or people just are so mean. (laughs) Like you're looking at comedy on social media. That is trifling by definition. (laughs) What were the couple that really gained traction for you? I think the first thing I ever made that actually, I was like, oh, this got a lot of views, was I did this parody of Part of Your World. There was a company, I guess they exist still, called Reviews.com, and they were holding a contest, and you entered, and if you won, they would pay you $1,000 to watch 30 Disney movies on Disney+, and talk about it on social media. And so I really did this huge over-the-top entry where I wrote a parody of Part of Your World and sang it and did like massive editing. And it was all about basically all the content on Disney+. And for whatever reason, that one kind of like really took off. How many views did that one get as of right now? What do you think? I don't know, like 11,000 maybe? Which for me a is a lot. Of those were mine. <laughs> you know, I did watch it a lot, as did my husband. Thank you. It really brought me back to a moment in time because I remember when Disney Plus came out, we all didn't know quite what it was and I wanted to be excited about it. And also like this backlog of Disney movies that, come on, no one's going to watch this. I think it's since become better. Yes. It's not just for Disney freaks. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But it felt like it at the beginning. It's like, oh. For old Kurt Russell movies. That's right. But no, I, I really enjoyed that one a lot. Thanks. That came in a fury. I got the idea and it was like I was a mad scientist and I sat down and I was like, I've got to get this out. (laughs) So did you not win that contest? No. And did the ones that won, were they totally lousy? And should we just shit talk them for a while? I don't want to shit talk anybody, but it was clear that they were looking for people who were real Disney obsessed and had a bigger social media following than I do. 
That's it. Influencers, man. They wanted influencers so that they could make reviews.com get their name out there, I guess. But I wish I would have been like, let's do a little mutual exchange of cred or whatever. <laughs> Brian is pointing out this thing about timeliness. And one of your other videos I saw was a, a reaction to being tired about the election you know, done with another song parody that it seems like if it's going to take off, it will take off in that moment or not at all. Right. The guy who posted his imitation of the fly on Michael Pence's face that I then saw a news article about this 15 second TikTok there, whatever this was, that was its moment. Does that seem typical of this form? Yes, especially now. Things just move so fast and we consume so many things that It feels like the landscape doesn't allow time for something to gain traction anymore. Every now and then, there will be a video that it takes a while. Like I have a friend, a comedy duo, they go by Handsome Dancer, and they put out this song called Coincidance. And when they first put it out, I think it had a pretty modest response. And then something happened a while later, and it ended up getting a million views. And then it went like insane in Taiwan, I think. And they ended up asking them to go over there. The song was like in a car commercial out there. <laughs> but it was a very like Leonard Cohen hallelujah story. Like they had done it, but it, I think it wasn't until months later or maybe even a year. I might be wrong about this whole story, but it took a while for it to like gain. Tra- <laughs> it wasn't instant like so many of these things are. And that's also for me can feel stressful, but also Sometimes you just need a kick in the ass to make something. And there's a thrill about, like when I had that idea for the Counting Crows, for the listeners, I wrote this parody to Long December called Long November. I wrote it like two days after the election when nothing had been officially announced yet and it was taking forever. And so the song, the parody is basically about how like it's only been like four days into November, but it feels like forever. But I was like, oh, I literally have to do this tonight. And I have to write this this morning and film it this afternoon and put it out tonight because anything could happen in the next, like, (laughs) any hour. So it was kind of just like fingers crossed. And I think that's actually really thrilling. It is. And I guess in that way, like, it does sometimes feel like this kind of comedy can be, it's very American. It's like fast money. We just care about making fast money and we make an impression and get it out there and then it's gone. Like, and we don't care and we trash it. And like, it is a fast version even of our own old pop music scene, right? It's like, make a star and then we don't care about them anymore. But on the other hand, I think that it also can provide you like that power, like you're saying of like, if I keep putting stuff out there and I'm doing it for me, sometimes it'll get picked up, sometimes it won't. It's kind of like going to auditions over and over. You, let's just throw it out and see what sticks. And if it gets picked up, great. If not, I had a fun time putting it together. Absolutely. And that's with anything. And it really takes a lot of not being precious about what you're making and growing a skin and just when someone calls you trifling (laughs) just own it you're like whatever i think it's specifically referring to i put out this parody of lana del rey that uh entity in chicago called the paper machete they do like a weekly live magazine but of course it's not live anymore because of covid so they were they've been doing like a digital version and they were like can you make a parody of lana del rey and her completely misguided instagram post and this was in may And I was like, sure. And so I wrote it and it was kind of the first thing I ever made that some people were like, oh, garbage, you're trash. Because I was making a strong statement about what somebody, a fairly controversial figure about what she said. Is this the white fragility one? Yeah. Fragile white sadness is what it's called. 
And that's so funny because even when I was making it, I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff or that people would be mean about it. <laughs> I was just having fun. But I have to admit, like after I made that and after I put that out, I quit for a few months. I like couldn't do it. Anymore. Even though you <laughs> know that some people are just being reflexively protective of something that they like. Absolutely. And I love Lana Del Rey's music. I was not making a comment on her. I was making a comment on the things she had said in that moment, which I have to keep telling myself. And it's like, I'm allowed to be critical of other women if they are saying things that are questionable. And that's what comedy does. And I like her music. But yeah, like you said, reflexively protective. And those Lana stands, they are no joke. (laughs) (laughs) So it has to be of the moment, but yet it's going to persist on the internet forever and be taken completely out of context almost immediately. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Greatness is fleeting, but right, the stigma lasts forever. Wow. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. Thanks, internet, for ruining everything. Right. Are you feeling like, and you're kind of saying that all these TikTok people, they're not even doing characters, they're just commenting. I'm sensing a dividing line between like the short videos that are actually produced which most of yours seem to be, certainly if it's like a music video, that's as produced as you can get versus a, you know, off the cuff, whether it's in character or out of character, but just, I have a funny thing that's in my head right now and I'll just say it. I don't know. Are there a lot of practitioners that do both that you've noticed or is it one or the other? I think even I have done both sometimes, like ever since sort of this summer and I started getting really fatigued about social media and I made myself take a huge break. But I would love to just hop on my Instagram stories and just kind of riff on something for a little while. But then I would like put out a video that I put more thought into as well. My friend Jen Tullick kind of does both. She'll riff on something and then sometimes she'll do a character. I like creating produced things simply because it gives me a thrill to make something look good and like essentially art direct. And I love editing and I love the mathematics of all of that. But I love that it has become commonplace that people can just make stuff with their phone because I think anything that is encouraging people to make stuff is good. Are we completely saturated now? Yeah, but I don't know. That's just where we are right now. And I'm really curious to see how we're going to continue to wade through all of that going forward and how it's going to affect people's lives and careers if they choose to have one in this kind of thing. I don't know. It's it's crazy. That's an interesting way to think of it. It's almost like it's folk art for now. Yes, that's such a pop folk art. Absolutely. No gatekeepers. Everybody can do it. And it gets passed down and passed around. Like it's just, it's for sharing and we can share it instantly. And sometimes it's really niche and sometimes it's not at all. And And it's completely democratic, but with all the bad things that come with that as well. A lot of bad things. Well, not a lot of bad. Bad things come with all good things like democracy. (laughs) Well, just the average things that are very appealing to the masses just you have to wade through if you want to get to the other things and that's just how it is oh yes Mm -hmm. that's okay just like podcasts go ahead mark (laughs) (laughs) yeah we gotta wade through the big bang theory to find the uh (laughs) anything else Anything else. <laughs> well, I know with podcasts, as ridiculous as it is, is you know, the, the uh, iTunes store is sort of made for, I will listen to 15 seconds of this podcast. And if I like the person's voice, maybe I'll keep going. You know, it's completely made for that, even though <laughs> this is the, the front end of an hour long thing, as opposed to a TikTok, where at least you got to see a product. 
That's true. Wow, I've never like gone through on iTunes and just sampled podcasts. I know. I think I've only really taken recommendations. Me too. That's only what I've... Or I'll just see something and I think if I... I'll just commit to it. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to put this on and just see what it is. And I usually will listen to the whole thing. Wow, that's really unlike me. Like, I have so many books that I've only read like the first chapter of. (laughs) I guess as a podcast creator, my listening habits in that way are not going to be normal. Yeah. And it's mostly, I just assume that that's what people are doing. I would hope. Yeah, because we get comments on like, oh, you took five minutes dicking around before you started talking about Hegel. I hate this podcast. One star. (laughs) Like, whatever. Wow. Hey, let's stop just for a second for a little break. You know, when I was younger, I was pretty stubborn in my belief that I could just think away my problems. And when I finally did seek out a mental health counselor for the first time, I found the whole process perplexing and sort of a crapshoot in terms of finding the right person. I'll tell you, it can be easier, and that's with BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment where you connect and work with a licensed professional therapist. I'm coming up on 50, and I'm working through my issues related to the anxiety and stress that comes with that with my own BetterHelp counselor. For whatever you're dealing with, there are BetterHelp professionals who can help you too. That includes depression, anger, family conflict, relationships, LGBT matters, grief, sleeping, trauma, and self-esteem. BetterHelp is confidential. It's convenient. It's more affordable than traditional counseling. And while it's not a crisis line, the testimonials on their site speak to how it can help with whatever is interfering with your joy. Look, I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener to Pretty Much Pop, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com pretty. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pretty. And now back to the show. There's a New York Times article that we'll share with folks on Carmen Lynch, a stand-up comedian who then shifted to TikTok and sort of made this. I guess I'm kind of wondering about if it really becomes democratized, if it really becomes folk art. I can imagine that being, on the one hand, empowering for professional comedians, but on the other hand, like, oh, it's that much more competition. It's proving yourself from the ground up. It's having to adapt to this new landscape. It just seems depressing in some ways. That's so funny. I immediately thought of Taylor Swift because of folklore, like her recent album. I like her. I've come around on her. I have a lot of really complicated feelings about her, but (laughs) it was like, here she was working with Max Martin, like the biggest pop producers, just Jack Antonoff, you know, another huge pop producer and making big old pop music. And then she decided that she wanted to make a quiet little folk album, like all of the other little, I'm making her sound I love Taylor Swift, but it was like, she has the power to do whatever she wants. And so now she can like take it all down and work with the national and Bon Iver, like all of the quote unquote littler people, although they're not little. It just reminded me of what you were just saying about how like a large comedian brings it down to TikTok level and it makes them seem like just like one of us or like more relatable or whatever. And I feel like that's what a lot of pop stars, not just musically, but in general do. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I think about that though. They also open themselves up to be completely crucified if it doesn't seem authentic or it doesn't go well. I mean, right. I think folklore is not an example of that because it was such a success. But yes. we've seen others try to do a thing and it's like, stay in your lane. We mentioned some time ago, Garth Brooks put on this 
persona of Chris Gaines and put out a rock album, but he was just destroyed for it. And rightly so, I guess. I can't say I was a big fan of either kind of thing he was doing, so. He's so good. Okay. We need a Garth Brooks episode. He is so good. Garth, yeah, he's great. (laughs) (laughs) There's still a difference, though, between those are still finished products. Yeah. You know, what you were talking about, Tiffany, with just more and more celebrities opening up. I guess that's different if you're an actor and then, well, I can be in a movie or a play or on TV. That is the product. Clearly, when I'm just making jokes on Instagram or whatever, that is a different thing. When you're a comedian, it's not such an obvious difference. It it depends how you use your comedy, of course. And I know I've read things about comedians not wanting to like, what do you do? Do you do you use your best jokes from stage and just put them up as tweets? Is that smart? Is that a good use of your capital? I guess it kind of goes with the, you know, are you going to put your set on YouTube? And then, like, I guess I don't have to tour anymore. Everybody's already heard these jokes. That's so interesting. I think about that a lot, actually. I'm like, when I see somebody like Sarah Silverman, it's like, is this just, are you going to reuse this? I get amazed by how some people can just keep generating funny quips. This is why I don't do stand-up. Like, <laughs> I'm amazed at people who are really good at Twitter and are just constantly saying really funny one-line jokes. And I think about that a lot. I go, how did you just use that? You just put that out there for everybody as a tweet and you're not going to put it in some special or like use it in a... But also I have friends who are stand-up comedians and I think they will tweet something and then put it in their stand-up set. Like it's almost like that's their, you know, 1 a.m. five minute set at the club that they're just doing just to see how something lands. So it's like Twitter can be like a great space for that, I think. Not for me, though. That's interesting. So you're a different type of artist. And this comedian in particular, Mark, that you were talking about, it was interesting. Carmen Lynch decided to like talk to marketers, right? And figure out really how to market herself because she's been at this for so long. And then all of a sudden she sticks something on, which one was it first? TikTok? She compares the performance of the different platforms. Yeah. And so that's what she's doing, right? She's like trying it out on different platforms to see what gains an audience, what kind of jokes work on certain audiences and what don't. When is she popular? When is she not? And it's a weird read because it immediately feels so cerebral and not at all what we like to think of as comedy, which we like to think of it as off the cuff and organic, but a lot of it's not. And anybody who's, you know, read anything about comedians knows that many of them are very intelligent and they work a very long time on their tight five, for example. So it's weird because like as an actor, I when I read stuff like that, it makes me feel kind of gross. Like that's how people are learning how to market stuff. But it's also extremely savvy and potentially a very good idea to figure out how to make your bigger projects work in the long run. I have a theory that it's hard to go viral these days completely by accident. I had had a conversation with someone who is very successful and went viral. She basically told me like it wasn't an accident. If you have somebody behind you, some kind of agent who can like send it to somebody, somebody puts it in some publication and there you go. They have promoters of some sort. Of some sort that can get it to the right sources, get it in the hands of the right people that can essentially force it to go viral, set it up for success. So Mm -hmm. I think that that happens more than we think. 
I think you're probably right. I know when my brother auditioned, this is a different subject, but related in terms of that. My brother auditioned for American Idol years ago, years and years ago. And when he got to like the third round, a bunch of people were there. They like came in already like ready. They weren't there the full day. They like came into the third round and did not have to do any of the other bull crap beforehand. And they're like, oh my gosh, did you just audition today? And he's like, yeah, you didn't. And they're like, oh no, my agent, like they already had people getting them to those rounds and they didn't have to go through it. So there is a bit of organic and there's a bit of like, here we go. This is our new artist, quote unquote, new. Like, I know you guys could see those air quotes through the uh, podcast, but <laughs> here's our newly discovered talent. And it's somebody they've been working on for years. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it happens all the time. That's so funny. I auditioned for American Idol in St. Louis in 2004. Wait. Side note. I think that's when I was there. Really? <laughs> yeah. I like spent the night in the Bush Stadium or whatever that was. <laughs> so who won that season? God, I don't know. Well, the fact that it's neither of you is all that matters. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> it just means it was stolen. It was clear evidence of fraud. <laughs> I will believe that till my dying day. That might have been like Carrie Underwood year. That was right at the beginning. That was like season three. I think it was. All I know is that the year before it was Fantasia because they said in the place where I auditioned, they said, maybe it was 2003 when I went and they said, we don't want another Fantasia Barino. We want somebody brand new. And like, it was like clear after you started watching it, that that was not the case at all. The one that ended up going viral was one where she tells the joke that she's told a million times on stage before, and she laughs at it herself. And somehow this was supposed to draw people in, whereas like describing it in the abstract sounds like the worst possible idea. But I think that is what is depressing a lot of comedians about the current state, you know, when all these like talk shows and stuff doing the shows from their living rooms and things is no audience laughter. Is you Somebody has to be laughing... <laughs> That you have this immediate response, but it's by people that can't see, in, you know, only the most obnoxious ones or, or your friends are probably going to actually respond with an emoji of some sort. Yeah. Can you say something about the feedback or lack thereof, apart from the one that we called you trifling? <laughs> well, I've never done stand up and only a couple times have I done any kind of comedy live. And I think because I don't do it very often, I'm mostly just super nervous. So yes, if, if I can get any laughs in those moments, that's great. And that fuels me. But I think because I'm so used to putting stuff out on the internet, like the digital feedback is kind of all I have to go off of. I can't really speak to, oh yeah, it's weird putting stuff out on the internet because I'm so used to doing stand-up and now I'm doing this thing from home instead. So I can't really comment on those two things because I'm so used to just putting stuff out on the internet. What about Erica and Brian, just as consumers of this, looking into this the first time? I know it probably would have helped me as much as I don't want to say to have somebody telling me that it was funny. <laughs> from their laughter <laughs> instead of just being exposed to these people talking to dead air. I don't see how it would make a difference. I don't like being told when I should laugh. I mean, a laugh track, that would just solve the problem because then right. you just play it. Yeah, but I think even so, like I'm the person in a movie theater who hears something that I think is funny and nobody else thinks it's funny and I will laugh out loud. If I think it's funny, I'll just laugh. I am way more likely to laugh when I'm with people than when I'm alone. So I'm one of those people who, as an audience member or as a consumer, definitely benefits from at least having someone watching with me or hearing other people laugh. I definitely feel it. Huh. Whether people are laughing and whether it's succeeding as comedy are really not necessarily the same. 
thing, right? And why something works or doesn't. As much as people might try to game it or give advice or coach or sell it or whatever, sometimes it's just mystifying why something works and something doesn't. And I've gone on websites. This isn't exactly the same thing, but it's see if you can see which of these two got a couple hundred likes in which got a couple million likes. And it's really hard. Like, I I don't know what people are keying in on and like, oh, I would have thought it was this one, but it's that one. And bloggers have had to figure this out all the time because they post pictures. And I read an article about the van life people. Right. Oh my God. Is that what it was called? And she was like, yeah, I'd post a flower and no one. And then I'd put myself in a bikini on the top of the. And for some reason, that got a lot of hits. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. We know now that people respond more to human faces in Instagram posts than anything else. So a selfie is always going to get more traction than a picture of a flower. See, that kind of surprises me because I thought, you know, that this whole internet comedy thing kicked off with like funny cat videos. And that's still what I see when I go to Facebook is now like shoving videos in my face way more than, and it's usually not somebody just instead of doing a post, doing a a live video quip. It's just more of that funniest home videos nonsense. Yeah, that's true. I laughed out loud at a cat video today. So, so much for <laughs> laughing out loud, not being the metric that we're going by, but oh my God. they're still there and they're still funny. Yes. Yeah. But a video then is different than a picture, I suppose, as well. I would say like as much as I post pictures of my cat, which is a lot, they don't quite get the feedback that a picture of my face does. And I never really thought of it that way, but mm-hmm. although maybe this is why. I post sometimes cat pictures because I know it's not going to be very controversial. And it's just like, also, my cat is adorable, says every cat mother. But maybe that's also part of it is the more personal you get, whether it's with your face or an opinion, you're going to have more controversy, right? And the controversy also fuels the, not necessarily likes, but the reshares and just the movement of the video. Yeah, interesting. Controversy or just a strong opinion in general or um, a vulnerability. I think people respond to that a lot too, especially as a little off subject of comedy, but maybe not. Just I think we're kind of coming around now to craving people being more real on the internet and on Instagram than having like a curated feed. So I think when we see somebody like being completely vulnerable and sharing something about themselves that isn't perfect, I think people respond a lot to that too. And maybe, Mm -hmm. again, that's why we're responding to this sort of off-the-cuff TikTok short-form humor, because it'll just be somebody who, like, just woke up and they're just, like, telling a joke or doing something funny. And it makes us think, well, if they can do that, I can do that. Oh, that person is, obviously, they're just, like, they haven't showered in three days, and that's okay. (laughs) Yes. Still funny. (laughs) But I think there is something, maybe not even so much humor, as admiration of skill, that when you see, like, these lip sync things or it's just like when people put these very elaborate musical things together like oh he's playing 12 different parts all on bass but I'm, I'm looking here at sarah cooper known for her lip sync comedy doing these really dead on and apparently super super rehearsed like just has to do these things so many times and edits them very carefully together to that you know do something against trump amps during interview questions or whatever the thing is and now she's gonna have a netflix show based on this exactly what we're talking about wow That sounds really boring to me, doesn't it? Just rehearsing, (laughs) lip syncing all day to make it perfect and then having a TV show 
where you do that. <laughs> that sounds like a really hard job. I don't know if that's her TV show. I don't I don't know what her show is. <laughs> I know it's probably like regular comedy, but still like lip syncing is really hard even to yourself. I was trying to do it the other day. Any of you trying to do it, just letting you know, give yourself more time than you think you need. <laughs> Good to know. I was for a long time, I wrote this sketch that was Bob Ross in conversation with his paint colors. And I was going to do it with the Memojis. Like I, it was going to be animated and I like created all these characters that were Bob Ross's colors, but like they were all super basic, awful, like Americans. And I was trying to do it and like trying to, it's, it is hard. It's hard to lip sync. So it is really impressive. Both her and Bone Yang. I think I put a link to, he's ridiculous at it. He's so good at it. One of the things you said was that we're drawn to the vulnerability that people show. But one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of Instagram videos, Instagram comedy and TikTok comedy even, is making fun of people who are vulnerable. <laughs> like a caricature who feels sorry for themselves or a caricature who's just had it. I think that's what I love about comedy is that it's always both and. Like the first character I ever really made, her name was Holistic Crystal. I love her. It was my first Snapchat character and it was... I didn't realize that I could make comedy until I created this character one day on a whim and just put it on Facebook. And it's this girl who just like, you know, loves crystals and like healing. And and what's funny is that I am that girl, but I also, <laughs> I really am. Like I love tarot. I just started seeing a new therapist who's an intuitive empath. Like I love astrology. I'm that bitch. But I also realized that there is comedy in that. And comedy is really just pointing out truth. And I can see when something has humor in it. And I think it's good to be able to play both sides of that and see both sides of all that stuff. So maybe more generalized than vulnerability is authenticity, right? Mm. They see that truth and they see that sometimes it's uncomfortable after because they see themselves in it as well. Yeah. Hopefully we're able to do that. I mean, that's all the great Jewish comedians. I mean, there's, there's a reason that the tribesmen across America find them so funny because it's like, yep, that's our, that's our family. So, you know, I get it. Just being able to recognize something in somebody else and you can laugh about it, even if it is something that's kind of dark. And also in terms of someone making fun of somebody for feeling sorry for themselves, like, <laughs> yeah, that too. Like sometimes you can smell when they're just doing something for attention and not actually being vulnerable. And that deserves to be called out. <laughs> Both things do deserve to be called out. The other day I did a concert and uh, you guys, I forgot the words all of a sudden to a song I've known for a very long time. I was trying to sing. I couldn't think of the haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary and what child is this? I couldn't think haste, haste, which just wasn't there. I could think of raise. So I started to say raise, but I realized that I couldn't make that make sense. And then I remembered there was joy. So what came out was Roy, joy for Christ is born. And I was mortified and I still had to get through the second verse. And I came back to my dressing room and I called my husband and I said, oh my God, I just really screwed things up. And he's like, what, what happened? What happened? Well, I couldn't think of the word. And I said, Roy, joy. And it, like with big operatic tones, which I can't do right here. And Drew just goes, <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> And then I laughed and it was fine. So sometimes that's all we need. Exactly. And if there was anyone named Roy in that audience, he got a real treat. <laughs> that was for you, buddy. This is for you, that's Roy. Right. You bring me joy. 
<laughs> and Jesus Roy Christ is like, finally, someone's calling me by my preferred name. <laughs> Can I ask Tiffany, so do you have any consistent characters? I didn't look at enough of your stuff to see if you have ones that you revisit or would perhaps even create a channel just for that character. Well, I guess the most recent recurring character I've done is Bernie Sanders, who's not an original character, but original take on a person. I've probably made like four videos as Bernie Sanders and people like that. So I should probably continue to do that. But I just, uh, (laughs) I'm a little fatigued. I almost brought him back recently. I was going to do something about how, so the first Bernie Sanders sketch I did was called the Sanders Clause. And I had had this idea actually like in 2017, I was just like joking around with my boyfriend and we thought like, what if Bernie Sanders was like singing Little Drummer Boy? And we just were like crying, laughing, thinking about that. And then we just started like doing pun, like Christmas puns based on that. And I was like, the Sanders Clause. And I finally wrote the sketch like last year or whatever and filmed it. And I was going to bring that back this year and have it be like Bernie Sanders wanting to put term limits on Santa Claus. So he was running to be the new Santa Claus. (laughs) So I was going to do another one this year that was talking about how Santa won't concede. So. (laughs) And? It's in development. But no, because then, again, timeliness. But then, like, Trump, as much as we're going to get him to concede, it was like the next day it was like they acknowledged, like, there was an acknowledgement that Biden won and we're on our way out. And I was like, eh, it's not going to be. It's eh. And my heart wasn't in it, so I didn't do it. Anyway, long story short, that's one of my recurring (laughs) characters. Now you don't have to do it. You just did it here. We got it conceptually. I just did it. See? And there's Mike. What's his name? Mike Sandowski was another Snapchat character that I created. He's like a 16-year-old wannabe MC and ladies man. And so I've done a few. He's actually the only character I've ever performed live as well a couple times. Which is really fun. Which is weird because he's based on a Snapchat filter. Honestly, he loses a little something without the filter on the face. With the filter doesn't exist anymore. Like That's the beauty and the tragedy of Snapchat is that some of these filters are ephemeral and they go away. Like Crystal's filter disappeared, never came back. Mike Sandowski's filter never came back. But I just take it as a sign like, well, then those need to be put to bed. That's just the moment that they were in. But yeah, I did Mike live and instead I just like put on this little wig and wore a hoodie and like didn't move my face. (laughs) So those are my two main recurring people, I would say. Does the filter or the wig or the look come first or does the the idea come first? Usually the look comes first. (laughs) Oftentimes I find my favorite thing is to just put on something and then start talking. Like that's what the filter always was for me on Snapchat. It's like mask work. Like I put the filter on my face and then something just starts coming out of me, whatever, you know. Magic, whatever this ephemeral magic is. I know it sounds woo. It's super woo woo. But I feel a lot of the times when I'm doing comedy, I don't know where it's coming from. I just don't. It's just kind of coming out. Don't dissect it. You know, you could be killing the goose that lays the golden egg here if you look too carefully. It's very spiritual approach, but I can't even credit myself for some of the characters or comedy that has come out of me. It's just, it's from, I don't know where. (laughs) I'm wondering to close things out, can we go around and kind of give some recommendations if we have any of people to follow gold mines within this area? Tiffany, you had a giant pile of them. Can you pick just a couple to highlight and say what is unique about this? Yes. Megan Stalter, I think is how you pronounce her name. 
She really gained traction once the pandemic hit. They kind of started calling her like one of the queens of COVID comedy. And I don't know what separates COVID comedy from other comedy. I think it just happens to be comedy that suddenly blew up during COVID. But her stuff is all character-based, which, as you know, I love characters. And they're all characters that are a little misguided, which I also love. And the way she approaches things is she's not an impressionist. She doesn't do voices. It's more about what's coming out of these people's mouths. There's just something about her that is a je ne sais quoi that I can't even talk about, but she has some amazing characters and she's really, really smart and funny. I'm going to go with one that my husband introduced me to named Ava Victor, I believe, or maybe it's Eva, E-V-A-V-I-C-T-R. I love her. Yeah, I've thought of you when I've watched her. And the one in particular that really has made me laugh was, well, I guess the first time she kind of gained traction was she did one last year about the woman, she was the woman who received a Peloton for Christmas. So she made some stuff about that. I love this one, the girl from the movie who doesn't believe in love. And part of what she does that's so great is like she's doing this 90s, 2000s, almost goth girl who doesn't believe in love in a romantic comedy, but she adds a lot of great music, soundtrack music to it. And I think that's something that also can help elevate that to an even broader audience. Brian, did you run into anything or did you have priors with anything that kind of we haven't talked about yet? Not too many priors, but there's one I'm going to mention. And this is actually the husband of a previous guest of ours, Robin Selenina of Skin Wars. Her husband, Jimmy Slanina is a well, according to his page, as an actor, writer, director, producer, clown, but also lip sync auteur. And his lip syncs, I think because he's a clown and his body control and just his shtick when he, you know, does classic rock songs uh, lip synced, I just find so tremendously funny. And because I get to do two things and because I don't really know how to do the internet, I'm going to mention my other one, which is this guy called the lock picking lawyer. And he's this lawyer who taught himself how to pick locks and he just picks locks on the internet, but he's so good that he, <laughs> it often takes him longer to open the packaging than to pick the lock. And so sometimes you'll like see a video. I'm someone said I couldn't pick this and you'll see it's like a 45 second video. It's almost short enough to be short form comedy because he's so good at picking locks. That's fascinating. And he that never shows his face is all you see are his hands. And he's the super nice guy. Anyway, I wouldn't recommend this lock. I'm the lockpicking lawyer. Have a nice day. <laughs> I watch for hours. It's really satisfying. Mark, what about you? So I had a prior that I came in here with this. She did launch big. She had a short-lived Netflix thing. It's Miranda Sings, who, uh, you guys are familiar with this? Yes. Yeah, of course. Okay. So, so I, yeah. I guess <laughs> yes. this is a lame... <laughs> No, I still yeah. feel like the internet, you don't know who's discovered what. So I still feel yeah. like... I don't know, Mark. What are you talking about? So this about? is somebody who created this YouTube channel. This is like six years old, you know, or more, and would just do these singing performances purposefully bad. She's actually like a super good singer. Colleen Bollinger is her name. She has her own YouTube channel under her own name, where she's like doing opera singing and things. But she would just put on a huge amount of lipstick and do these terrible renditions of pop songs and just invite all the YouTubers to say, you suck, you suck, basically. And it became this character thing. And it just, you know, so that became a thing that I would, you know, show to my nieces. I spent a good amount of time watching her various, uh, you know, because it wasn't just the songs. It was then became this whole Saturday Night Live quality character thing. I was not excited enough about the TV show that was on Netflix to watch more than an episode of it. But that was one thing. And then I have to mention Ask Chicky, which, you know, people should just look that up. <laughs> this is a Mark creation, Tiffany. 
In All case right. you didn't happen to see that one, yes. I haven't, but I'm going to have to check it out. <laughs> you, you, you don't, but... <laughs> oh, no, 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 I do. If there's demand, I will start doing them again, but there is not. You never know when duty will call. Thank you, Tiffany. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Tiffany. And is there anything else we should watch out for with you? Or I know we, we got your handles. Yeah, no, I'm making an album. It'll be out when it wants to be out. My therapist told me today that I need to just trust process instead of trying to race against time. There you go. So there's my <laughs> message for all of you listeners out there. There's my after school special. <laughs> As the therapist is charging you by the minute. Yes. <laughs> this, this is a new character. Yes. Oh. oh. All right. So long <laughs> listeners. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, Tiffany. Thanks. Thank you. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.